Uh, today's scripture reading is from Psalm 63. Uh, I'll give you a couple minutes to turn there in your own copy of God's Word and follow along as I read. Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jim. It is really good to be back with you. I want to say thank you to Pastor Michael um, with the S on his chest. I love that message. And uh, Pastor Chip for preaching the last two Sundays and faithfully feeding us as God's people, faithfully ministering God's word to us. And uh, it nourished me and my family. And so it is, uh, is good to be back. So Chip helped us with the intro and the context of this psalm, the Absalom rebellion, Absalom, David's sons, betrayal, and that background and that context um, is the very same thing that set this poetry in motion for Psalm 63. We think it's the same context. We think it is the same season of David's life. And so David is in the midst of, he's on the run, he's a fugitive in his own country, and he's in a desert land. He's literally been forced into the Judean desert. It's a dry and weary place. And in the midst of that, he gets the inspiration for a song. And he writes this song. He writes Psalm 63 about what it's like for a believer to live in the midst of the wasteland. What it's like for a believer to live in a dry and a desolate place. So join me in Psalm 63 here as we uh, think about God, my desire. And I want to unfold this uh, passage with three simple points. You know, last, last Sunday, Pastor Chip told us uh, about how Psalm 62 moved. Do you remember this? It moved symmetrically from you know, from outside to the middle, and the middle was the most important part of, uh, of the psalm. This psalm works differently. This psalm, the most important part of it is the first four verses. 
especially verse one and verse three. So let's dig in, and as we're thinking about, here's my outline. God, my desire, verses one through four. God, my desire, and I'll spend most of the time here. God, my desire. Secondly, verses five through eight, God, my habit. And third, God, my security, verses nine through 11. God, my desire. God, my habit. And God, my security. Some of you are are really familiar with this psalm. You've memorized it. You've read it over and over again. You love the first line. Oh God, you are my God. Don't move too quickly past this first line. Oh God, you are my God. The longing and the desire of this psalm, the longing and the desire of these verses is not the groping of a stranger. Derek Kidner writes, but the eagerness of a friend, almost of a lover, to be in touch with the one he holds dear. A longing, not the groping of a stranger. There's, this, there's a simplicity and a boldness about covenant love. That's what David is describing here. A simplicity and a boldness about risking your love in promise to another. And that's what David has in mind. He says, you are my God. Oh God, you are my God. No person, no idol, no ocean sunrise, no mountaintop view, no other thing in the world gets my whole heart except you. I will not lift up my soul to another. I will not lift up. That that is, by the way, a good biblical definition for worship. I will not lift up my soul. I will not present my soul in obedience to anyone or anything else than God. I'm pledging my fidelity and my devotion to you, Lord. Oh, God, you are my my God. Now, look at the next line. Earnestly, I seek you. That's not a word that we use very often. Well, not anymore, you know, earnestly. Um, Technically speaking, you might buy a house and put down some earnest money, but that may be the last time you heard or used the word. But earnest is not a... So some of you might have early I seek you. Some translations render it early I seek you, and, and, and there's some warrant to that, but it's probably closer to eagerly. Um, and that's where there's a connection between the dawn and the morning, like, like we're eager to see the sunrise, just like there's this eagerness about the start of a new day. There's an eager longing for God, David says. Earnestly, eagerly, I seek you. I, um, I love to watch excitement build in my children on the, like right before vacation starts. You know what I'm talking about? So summer vacation's coming, and three or four days out from summer vacation, like it's, it's, all, we, it's all everybody's talking about. Are we bringing this? Are you packing that? I can't wait to do this. And then the night before, you know, and it's hardly, hard to go to sleep. And then the morning of, you're like, man, I cannot wait to get there. In fact, as it turns out, the wanting is better than the having. That's what, that's what David's talking about. He's talking about desire for God. He's talking about eagerly, 
longing for God. The kind of eagerness that David has in mind is tied to verse 2 because he's experienced God's presence before, right? Verse 2, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. I've seen your power and I know who you are. I know you're powerful. I know you're amazing. Here I am in a desert wasteland. It does not feel like your power and glory is present to me right now. I don't feel it. I don't sense it. I've been there before though. God, would you meet me again? Because you're not, you don't dwell in a temple made by hands. You're not bound by those kind of boundaries. Would you be willing to meet me here in the desert of my life? God, would you, would you show me your power and glory again in the desert season of my life? David says, I know you can. I know, because, and here's why I know this. Because, verse 3, your steadfast love is better than life itself. Do not miss this. This is the heart of the psalm. Your steadfast love, your faithfulness, your, your promise to me, your promise to me is better than life itself. I can bank on you. Your promise to me is better than life itself. The relationship I have with you, uh, the one thing I cannot live without, the one thing that I cannot live without, God, you're ste- you've met me before. Will you meet me again? Now look at the middle of verse 1 because David takes another step. And it's not a baby step. It's a pretty big step. He says this, back up in verse 1, my soul thirst for you. One, one Hebraist translates it, my throat thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. I have to have you, God, is what he's saying. I have to have you. I can't do without you. I am thirsty for you. I am panting for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land. Like I'm looking at my surroundings right now. I am tired. I'm exhausted from being hunted by my own family. My own son and his warriors are hunting me and my group. I'm worn out. I'm exhausted. I'm trying to figure out what the betrayal's all about. I, I don't have anything more, God. I have to have, I don't have anything anywhere else to go. I have to have you. God, I have to have you. You're my desire. You're my hope. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints. David's constantly talking body and soul throughout the whole psalm. Body and soul, body and soul. Every part of who he is. I have to have you. There's really no thirst, no sense of fatigue like someone walking through the desert for days. Like the heat and dryness of the desert. That's what he's tapping into here as an image. He's he's really working this image throughout the psalm. He's working this image of, of the dry and arid landscape of the desert land. So you're living in a desert, you're walking in a desert, you're, 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 um, you, literally the, the water and life is being pulled out of you. You don't even feel it. It's so, hum, uh, it's so dry. You don't feel the humidity leaving your body. You don't feel sweat. And, and it's dry and arid and life is being sucked out of you. And David's working on that image. He's saying, I feel like, I feel like it's 97 degrees in Roanoke 
And, you know, last Sunday it was 97 and dry. It's a dry heat. <laughs> but last Sunday, we might not hit 97 today. You know, we might only hit 94, thankfully. But last Sunday it was, it was dry and 97, and we just, you, 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 so we went on a bike ride. We were all, we were trying to figure out how to cool down. We went on a bike ride and, and ended up at Back Creek, and which was an amazing, uh, amazing thing. So exhausted from a long bike ride, and we're looking for some water to revitalize us. So we found this place, never been there before, but you know where the Merriman Bridge crosses and the uh, Blue Ridge Parkway Bridge goes up above, back there behind Starkey Park uh, at Back Creek. If you walk down through the creek a little ways, you'll find a hole and there's just water rushing down through this hole. So Anderson and Chase and I are like, man, this, this is way too inviting on a day like today. Um, it's hot, we're exhausted. So we literally took turns. We got down into the water and there was this, uh, you know, the, the rapids just kind of rolling through there and there's a little hole and each person could get in that, you slide down into that spot and then sit there and just let the water rush over you. And it, you could feel you could feel life coming back into your exhausted body because water is so refreshing for a dry and weary soul. And David is working that image in this psalm. He's saying, God, I, I am here in the desert of life you, here's what David's saying, you are more life-giving to me than the water source we are depending on right now. Because you know they had to have a water source, whatever, whether they found a spring in a cave or wherever they found this water out in the Judean desert, is that because they're out there, they're camping, they're moving maybe every two or three days, so they're, they're being hunted, but they're, they're out there and they've got to have water, they're not surviving without water. David is saying, God, my soul thirsts for you my flesh faints for you. God, you are like the life-giving water that I need. You're like this deep well that I need to sink myself into to find life. It sounds like David has been thinking about John chapter 4. It sounds like David has met Jesus in John chapter 4. Do you remember John chapter 4? Uh, Jesus is on his way back to Galilee, and he takes the Samaritan cut through. You remember this story, the woman at the well? He takes a Samaritan cut through. He ends up at Jacob's well, which is uh, a famous well that's been around for a long time. And, and he sits down to just get some rest and get some water. And this lady meets him there, kind of walks up at the same time. And uh, he says, could you give me a drink? And she's just like, say what? Wait. I'm a Samaritan woman, and you're a Jewish man. You're not even supposed to be talking. You're not supposed to think enough of me to talk to me. Do you remember what Jesus said to her in reply? This is amazing. Jesus said, if you knew who you were talking to right now, if you knew who I am, and the gift of God, the gift of God's grace, you would ask me for a drink, and I would give you something that's not coming from this well. I would give you 
a life-satisfying river that would just kind of well up inside of you and never stop pumping. Would you like to know more about that? She's like, what are you talking about? And she mentions she has a husband uh, and, well, more than one husband. Actually, she's had five husbands. And... Jesus essentially says to her, what you've been looking, listen, what you've been looking for in male affection can only be found in me. That's what Jesus is saying. If you would let me in for just a moment, uh, a little further in to your own heart and soul, I would say to you, what you have been looking for in professional success, vocational identity, personal wealth, political solutions, social acceptance, athletic standing, uh, even religion, what you and I have been looking for all of our lives and we keep looking for and we keep fighting for and we keep trying to muscle our way in front of the other person for can only be found in one place. David's singing a song about that. He's writing a song that he's writing a song that essentially says God is the well. God is my well. God's the one I will drill deep down into. This song is about David's discovery that God himself is the deepest, cleanest, most life-giving well you could ever drink from. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land. Your steadfast love is better than life itself. My, like when the cold water hits my lips, when the cold water of your satisfaction hits my lips, I will praise you. That's where David's going. God, my desire. God alone is the only, listen, God alone is the only thing, the only person and thing who can be both your desire and your satisfaction at the same time. Your ultimate desire, because that's what you're really looking for, and your ultimate satisfaction. Number two, God, my habit. <clears throat> God, my habit. The second stanza, God my habit, the second stanza calls our attention to David's habits in the night. Now, now look at this. His habits of the night is, is what's coming out in five through eight. What, what are your habits in the evening? What are your, because your habits during the day are usually different than your habits of the night. David's calling attention to his habits of the night. What are your habits of the night, especially when you are under stress? What would you say are your habits of the night? Sleepless, anxious, worried, tossing and turning. Right, when the worries of this life are hunting you down like zombie apocalypse. I guess that's a movie. I don't know. I've never seen it. But 
Sounds like good imagery. But when, the, like when all the things you're worried about are literally hunting you down in the night, what do you do? So the world looks to pills, pornography, drinking, stress eating, endless Netflix, endless watching. What are your habits in the evening? When you're under stress in the evenings, when you're feeling the stress of life, what are your habits of the night? Look at David's habits. He says, I will remember. I remember. I meditate. Let me give you four of them. I remember. I meditate. I sing. I cling. I remember. I meditate. I sing. And I cling. Look at verse 6. When I remember you upon my bed. When I remember you on my bed in the evening. Like, he's anxious. He's tossing and turning. He's, he's got a group of stud warriors hunting him down. He doesn't know what's... He, the fear of the unknown is very real to him. And he says, I remember you on my bed. What is he remembering? He's remembering God's faithfulness. I mean, I just wonder what some of the things are. Maybe he's thinking back. Maybe he thinks back to the day when Goliath was taunting the army of Israel, and he was like to the other warriors, what are you guys, why are you guys letting this happen? He's defying the God, he's defying the God of Israel. We should stand up to him. And David steps out in faith, not in his own strength. He wasn't the biggest of the warriors. I wonder if he's thinking back, just like God delivered Goliath into my hands, he will deliver me. What's David remembering? I remember standing there and feeling this tension between trusting God and fear that was being echoed behind me. I'm going to walk forward and face this monster of a man trusting in the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. His whole life, David has been discovering, the battle belongs to the Lord. He says, I remember. I, this, these are the kind of things I imagine David remembers. I remember God's faithfulness. When I'm laying down in my bed and I can't fall asleep, I'm not counting sheep, I'm just going to remember I am one. I'm His. He's faithful. Meditate. I remember, I meditate, I sing, I cling. What's he meditating on? What, so look what the text tells us. He says, I'm meditating on you. Circle that, mark that. He remembers, I remember you, right? I remember, I'm meditating on you. He's meditating on God. How can you and I practice what David is an incredible example in? How can we practice meditating on who God is? Well, we, we get it from His Word. We, like, thankfully, we have this 
codified, summarized. This, this, the Word of God's right here. In fact, we can even meditate on the very psalm David was writing. We can read, study, memorize, meditate on Psalm 63 and discover the very same kind of faithfulness that David is tapping into and the life-giving source that God is, that God is the well. So you and I can make meditation a habit in the night. You're like, oh, well, I, I'm too tired. I'm too tired to, to remember in the evening. I'm too tired to meditate on Scripture at night. What I need to do is just turn on the TV and kind of veg and I just go to sleep with the screen on. It just helps me. It's not helping you. I'm telling you right now. And you don't have to believe me. The science is out there. The data is out there. Go figure out another way to fall asleep, but turn the television off. Turn the screen off. It is not helping you. Pray, meditate, Sing. Even, even if you don't feel like singing, just let the words, just put on an instrumental. Put on something that will remind you of the words of God in the stress and in the despair of the night. Look, I'm just, I'm trying to invite you into what David, David has figured out. Yeah, he's a pre-modern guy. He's a pre-tech guy. I understand that. We live in a different world. You don't understand. No, I do understand. I live in the same world that you live in. But David... David in his day and time has figured out he's got to habituate somehow into his evenings what God, who God is and what he wants him to be thinking about. And so that's, where he, that's what he's doing. We need to take that cue from him. We need to figure out somehow how to remember, how to meditate, how to sing, how to cling, how to cling to God in rest. Look at verse 8. My... My soul clings to you, and I'm singing, verse 7, singing for joy in the shadow of your wings, I will sing. Now, this, I know this sounds crazy to some of you. You're like, man, what are you talking about? Like, I don't know how to settle myself at night. I, 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 it's just anxious, and it's, it's worrisome. And This is the gospel intersection for you. This is where the gospel needs to come alive. In the most, if, if, if the most restless part of your day, please hear this, if the most restless part of your day is not feeling and resting and sensing the goodness and the peace and the protection of God, you are missing out on this amazing intersection between who God is and what your life is supposed to be like. We have Christianity on Sundays, Christianity a little bit during the day, but not Christianity at night. David says, I'm going to train my heart to lean harder on him in the darkness. In the desert, in the darkness, in the unknown, I'm going to train my heart to, I'm going to train my heart to return to God as my ultimate satisfaction. I will wait. I will wait. Man, what a song. We're learning this new song about waiting. I will wait for the Lord. He will satisfy my soul. I'm just wondering if we haven't, I'm wondering if we've given Him the chance to do that or if just we can't turn off the noise of everything else. 
If you're on your phone for the last three hours of the night and all you're doing is on your phone from 7 to 10 p.m. and then you put your phone down and go to bed, that's, I'm just saying that's probably not healthy. I know we're living in the digital age and I, I mean, I've got my Bible on the phone. Yeah, but you, you got your Bible on the phone, but you've got a million other distractions on your phone too. So I don't have the solution for you, and I am not standing in judgment over you today. I was reading the news yesterday afternoon, last night, the night before, whatever that, I was reading the, the news late. So I'm not, I'm not standing on my phone. I'm not standing in judgment over you. I am saying we've got to figure out how to follow David and his example that he's, he's habituating into his life Remembrance, meditation, song, and a felt sense of clinging to God. Like a, like a bird would come under the wings of, a mother, uh, of the mother bird. He says, I, I move into and under the shadow of your wings, verse 7. In the shadow of your wings. Because really at the heart and at, 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 bottom, at bottom, the reason you and I can't turn the day off, the, the reason you and I can't go to sleep and unwind is because we're, we're, just, we're just deeply fretful, anxious people. We don't know the shadow of his wings. We don't know what it's like to live under the shadow of deep protection and security. Which brings me to my last point. Some of you are like, thankfully, he's gonna get off the digital stuff. Number three, God my security. God my security. And, and you'll see, and as with so many Psalms, all of these ideas are woven throughout the Psalm. They're not just in each stanza, right? So you'll see, God my security throughout the psalm, but especially in verses 9, 10, and 11. He's my security. He's my defense. He's my protector. He's my identity. So I'm using the word security because I wanted to capture both defense in the physical sense and the internal sense of identity and security. God, my security. Those who seek to destroy my life, they'll go down into the depths of the earth. But you won't let your Holy One see corruption. In your presence is fullness of joy. I, I know I will not end that way. They'll be, you'll take care of them. You'll bring justice. There's justice in this passage. You'll bring justice. They'll be given over to the power of the sword. They'll be a portion for the scavengers of the night the jackals and the coyotes. And you say coyote or coyote, brother? Coyote, yeah. The jackals, the hyenas, the, the scavengers of the night. They're, they're, I'm, I don't need to worry about you taking care of my enemy. My own son has turned into my enemy. What on earth is David thinking? What's he feeling? Verse 11, but the king shall rejoice in God. God is my 
security, my identity, my, my calling. Here's why I'm saying this. Because if this is written during the banishment, if this is written during you know, the, the, the rebellion of Absalom, then this royal, the, the one who's competing for his kingdom, like Absalom is saying, I'm the king, dad, you're not the king. Like if, that, if that's the context, and we think it is, then this royal title that he invokes in verse 11, but the king shall rejoice in God. This is a reaffirmation of his calling. It's a, it's a, a reassertion of his identity. He's, he's saying, he's referring to himself, but he doesn't call him himself, right? He's, he doesn't say, but I will rejoice in God. He says, but the king shall rejoice in God. And he does that on purpose because he wants to, to show that this thing is much bigger than himself. And in the next line, there's a clue as to what else he has in mind. All who swear by him shall exalt. Do you see that? But the king shall rejoice in God and all who swear by him shall exalt. All who swear by him, shall it shall come out good for them in the end. All right, you're asking yourself, who is in that second line of verse 11? By him. Who's he swearing by? Is it the king or is it God? But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by the king shall exalt or... Or is it all who swear by God? Well, I think David, being the amazing poet that he is, is intentionally ambiguous. I think he's intentionally ambiguous so that it can refer to both. And here's why. Because it was always the job of the king entrusted with royal authority to reflect what complete and total surrender to God, the king, should look like. And so what David's doing here in verse 11 is saying, but the king shall rejoice in God. Um, I'm inviting everybody who will swear by the name of the king or more significantly swear by the name of God himself. If you promise yourself to God in the same way that he has promised himself to us, you will win in the end. It will turn out well for you. You will exalt. All who swear by him shall find amazing, glorious success. The king shall rejoice in God. David is constantly a picture of us to Christ, uh, of Christ. He's constantly a picture of the Messiah. He's constantly a picture of what it would look like to swear your allegiance to the Messiah. What would it look like to swear your allegiance to the Messiah? Look at David. David is a picture of the messianic kingdom, always. And it's a beautiful image that points us to Christ. Now, I need to close with one last thing. And I, 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 I'm, I moved past verse 4, but I want to ask you to look back at verse 4 with me as we close. And I want to tie verse 4 directly to verse 11. Okay, so look again with me at verse 4 and think about what it would mean to swear by him, to promise yourself in an oath to God, to the king, to the messianic king, or to God. And look at verse four to help me with that. 
So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. In your name, I will lift up my hands. For David, his own physical posture becomes an expression of the devotion he's been writing about, singing about. So, you know, some might view his hands to be lifted up like this. Others suggest that his hands are lifted up like this. I, I think that's probably more likely, that his hands are lifted up open and vulnerable and expecting with a sense of, God, I need you. I will lift up my hands. I want to invite you to, to engage your physical body in praise and worship. You don't have to do it today. You don't have to do it right now. But I want to invite you this week, whether you're on a walk or alone or in church, to turn your palms toward heaven and say, I will lift up in your name, I will lift up my hands. I love Sam Storms' encouragement about this in his article on lifting up my hands. He says, our hands speak loudly all the time. When we're angry, we clench our fists and threaten others. When we're guilty, we hide our hands. When we're worried, we wring them. When we're afraid, we cover our face. When we're frustrated, we throw our hands wildly in the air. Really, our hands become an extension of who we are. When, we, when we're when we're hospitable, when we're hospitable, we use them to warmly receive others. Like we use, we use our hands to embrace children and to encourage one another, right? We use our hands to bless and touch. We use our hands for an, to be an extension of who we are. And so, Storm says, doesn't it seem appropriate, therefore, to raise them to God when we seek in Him prayer, uh, when we seek, rather, Him in prayer or celebrate Him with praise? When you lift up your hands, it's like you're surrendering. When you lift up your hands in prayer and praise, it's like you're saying, uh, he writes, I have nothing to hide. I come to you open-handed. Search me and sanctify me. Like it's a statement of vulnerability. It's also a request from a beggar. I, I'm, I need you. Fill me. I don't bring any, I'm not bringing anything to impress you. I have nothing to bring you to impress you. So, so Storms writes, so glorify yourself by satisfying me wholly with you alone. If you have never, I'd really like to tie this to to a confession of faith in Jesus for you this morning. If you've never um, sworn by His name, by the name of the King, if you've never promised yourself to the King, if you have never said, 
God, I'm going to come to you. If you've never said, Father, I want to I receive Jesus Christ, and you've never really opened your hands as a symbol of opening your heart to Christ, I want to invite you to do that. I want to invite you to trust in Jesus Christ as the sovereign king, the Messiah, the prince, and throw yourself completely, totally, holding nothing back at his mercy. Lift up your name. Uh, in his name, lift up your hands. So I was, in the first service, I was watching a number of us. We were kind of singing like this, doing the evangelical sway. You know what I'm saying? We were singing, hands in the pocket, but a little bit of a sway. Are you with me? And then I saw some people with their hands out, and it's just a comfortable posture. I do it all the time. So th again, there's no judgment in this. Are you with me? But it can reflect my guardedness. This can reflect my guardedness. And so, let the, let the gospel kind of intersect or collide with your physical posture and either today, maybe you're not ready right now because you, know, you would feel like it was staged and he asked me to do it and it needs to be because it's in my heart. I totally agree with all that. But sometime today or tomorrow or this week or next, I want to encourage you, whether you're by yourself or in a gathering of believers, to open your hands and pray. You could be by yourself, you could be on a walk, you could be on a mountainside, uh, you could be at the lake, but I want to encourage you at some point in the next few days to say, God, in your name, here I am. I'm lifting up my hands. It signifies the, the dependence that I am placing my life into your hands. I'm vulnerable, I'm here, I need you. Would you please give me everything? I mean, I'm looking, for, I'm looking for all satisfaction in all the wrong places. Would you please be my desire and my satisfaction? And if you've never done that with Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, trusting in Him because, he was, because of what He's done to make you perfect and righteous and just, I wanna invite you to do that. I want to pray for you and ask you to, to swear, to promise, to surrender to the King. Will you pray with me? But the King shall rejoice in God. Lord, thank you that David points us to our messianic king who is always and forever delighting in the Father. We've been holding stuff back. Lord, we've been timid, we've been fearful, we've been anxious, we've been worried. We, for some reason, we've looked to everything else. Would you please give us the freedom today to open our hands, open our lives, to open our mouths, to swear, to bless, to affirm and promise ourselves to the King above all kings.
to whom be glory forever and ever and ever, we pray. Amen.